I'm delighted to welcome today as my guest Dr. Paul Stead, who's CEO of Brewery London, part of the Brewery Group. And we're going to be talking about something called design thinking. Paul, welcome, and please tell us what is design thinking? Well, firstly, Nick, thank you very much for uh, agreeing to talk to me about this, because it's uh, my life's work in a way. Um, I am a designer, and I've been um, designing all my life ever since I was uh, brought up. We used to build houses, and I guess that is design doing, as I would say, building things. And I trained as a, as a furniture maker, and we did, and we built along the way. I started my own business when I was 30. And the thing about that, I loved all aspects of design. I loved that multidisciplinary, in fact, we call it interdisciplinary because you had all sorts of designers working together, solving business problems for clients. Because clients at the end of the day, they don't want to buy design. They want to buy the outcome of design. They want to buy new products and new services. And once you start getting into the whole thinking about what design offers in industry, and, and there's a thing called going back to first principles, which is when you understand what customers and consumers want. So if you go right back to the basic level of design, understanding what consumers want and what they need, and solving problems, then you also start to have to think about solving other problems beyond purely product design. You start talking about brand. You start talking about sales tools. You start talking about designing channels. So. Whilst I was building my business, yes, we started off designing products, but there was an amazing thing happened in the States. We started working for Motorola, who were, we were designing mobile phones, and they were sold through traditional channels, and they didn't have any packaging. They were, they were shipped in brown boxes. So we were asked, could we do some retail packaging? And it was like, of course we can, but what are you going to call the product? What goes on the packaging? How's it, how's it displayed? So suddenly we're into this amazing area of discovery. So we started to term, and I think design thinking is something that you can look on Wikipedia, you can look at, and it's been coined now as, an, as a phrase. But actually for me, it, it's a, taking a 360 degree view of design. I think what people may get confused by is that they, unless they really think about it, they think design is just a sort of label or a skin you put on something that already exists. What I'm hearing you say is that almost the skin is the last thing. You design from the inside out, not the outside in. Uh, absolutely. I mean, you can do it both ways. I mean, there are some amazing designers, Philippe Stark and some fashion designers, who are all about style. And style is also a very powerful design motivator. But equally, you can do it the other way around, as you've just mentioned, because you know everything, every choice that we make, fashion, the pens we use, the uh, the cars we drive, the homes we live in, how we live our lives, we design our lives. In fairness, we all make choices, and I think the thing about design thinking is, if you can start to understand the choices and how people make choices, and then designing for people's either taste or function or a series of uh, other attributes. And sometimes, you know, I think the great thing about the manufacturer is that we're working with engineers and they've got such rich uh, knowledge about how to make things. I think the thing that I see uh, is how when design is coupled with engineering, what amazing things you can make. That brings very neatly onto the next question, which is how much attention do manufacturers actually uh, pay 
to issues like design in the broad sense that you described it. They think about naturally their product and they think about how they're going to make it. But sometimes the wider implications of all that seems to escape them. That's in fairness why I've spent most of my life working in America. And I know that's slightly sad and I'm trying to get back over here to help British companies do that. But you look at British companies like uh, McLaren, Dyson, JCB, a lot of these larger companies use design thinking. They may not call it that, but they, they use design at the heart of their, their product and the heart of their brand. Uh, Jaguar Land Rover, for instance, also do. So there are some British companies now taking it on board. I think having worked in America for the last 25 years, there's always been people who've kind of got it. And if you look at things, people like Jonathan Ive with Apple and how they've embedded design on the board, there's very few companies in the UK I can think of that have designers on the board. Now that's something I think that needs to change. So looking at the overall aspects of design thinking, it's down to how you structure culture, how you structure companies, how you innovate in terms of your next product. What are customers looking for? What are consumers looking for? And design thinking often is just, people think about it as just producing the final product. The thing that we um, did with P&G in the States was a thing called, um, so it was, it was more a phrase that we, we captured, was you can kill an idea, you can't kill an opportunity. So by mapping ideas and creating bigger and bigger ideas into opportunity spaces, which again sounds very jargonistic, but ideas exist within. Opportunities exist in the marketplace. So the thing that we use design for is very much more being able to prototype prototype and fail early. So you learn through doing, learn through the thinking, involve customers or your, your consumers at very, very early stages, but don't just ask them a whole series of dumb questions. Get them involved, get them involved in the prototype. Take those prototypes home with them. Analyze what, you know, do video focus groups. So a lot of the work we've done in the States is very much collaborative rather than designers coming in and telling you it's very much more being forming the right teams and the right cultures. If manufacturers in the UK were to adopt more of the disciplines that they have in the United States, more 360 degree thinking uh, and a much deeper, taking a much deeper view of their business and their products, I can hear them saying now, but I'll never get it past my financial director. How on earth is this supposed to increase our bottom line? I'm hearing you say that if you do this, you can and you will increase your bottom line if you get the thinking right. Well, well again, I think what we were taught in the States is if you can business model early, get your finance team involved in the pricing early, look to put a very collaborative design culture together because design is not just, it's about bringing teams together, it's about listening to other individuals, different points of view. So looking at, I mean we've done everything from patent busting workshops where you bring in experts. Sometimes if we're looking at um, cost reviews, we'll, we'll work with, we'll bring the accountants and the, the purchasing departments into those meetings as well because they have got insights. They are what we would call subject matter experts. So. I can never promise a reduction in costs or an increase in margin. All I know generally using design in a, in a commercial sense is those brands perform far, far better. 
I think there's papers from the Harvard Business Review that I haven't got access to at the moment to, but there's, there's lots of things out there on the web that you can see where companies have deployed design. And they may call it branding, they may call it a whole other series of techniques they've used, but ultimately, if design is, is used correctly in the business, it should minimise the number of parts, it should enhance the overall positioning of the brand, it should draw customers in to be more loyal. So it's a, it's a full... It's a full 360-degree part of the business. One of the, one of the real challenges of design education and designers per se is if you call in a product designer, surprisingly, you get a product. If you call in a graphic designer, you probably get a brand or a logo. If you call in a digital designer, you'll get a video or something digital. I think the thing that design needs to do as a, as a profession is to stand back on itself and look and see how you put teams together and you know look at the pure value that you're creating. I mean one of the things that, that I've set about doing with clients as well is is sharing the risk. Is actually saying look if we can help you demonstrate this then it's shared risk. Now that's a great thing for manufacturers so that they can dip their toe in the water. We want the upside though as well. That's the other point of this is if we can succeed we'd like the upside. So, I mean, I, I tell a story, we worked with this, with this amazing Jewish company, a Jewish textile company, uh, second generation in Cincinnati. And within the space of three years, we nearly doubled their business from 500 million to a billion. Now, we got paid very handsomely for doing that work. We built a team internally for them to do product development and market development and branding, even taught them how to photograph. And now they're going away and doing that themselves. So we've doubled the size of their business. And you know, it's just just seeing how design deploys in a business, it just changes it. Tell us some of the other stories, because you've worked with some great companies. I mean, I, I believe you work with Michael Dell of Dell Computers. Um, well, that story's coming out in the next magazine. And uh, it's one of the first times that story's been told. We were introduced to Michael and his senior team there to look at the next level of computers and one of the things that we saw Apple doing was taking a leadership position in terms of thinness. They just launched the Air and that was, whilst it's a tapered computer, they were saying it's the world's thinnest computer. And Now clearly that was a red rag to a bull to Michael Dell and his team. So myself and a gentleman called Hugh Brogan architected a product at 9.9 millimeters thick, or should I say 9.9 millimeters thin. We went to see uh, Michael and the head of engineering, and when we got there, there was actually a model on the table. They've actually created our sketches into working models. And um, Alex, who's the, who was then the head of engineering, picked it up and said, this is unobtainium. So unobtainium was kind of, a, again, a challenge to us in terms of getting the architecture to work. But the, the real trick here was what Michael Dell did for us, he wrote us a letter saying to all his ecosystem, please work with brewery and give them the latest technology. Because in order to get the latest technology, the latest working consumer technology, you need the components that are not on the market but coming in the next two years. So we did a lot of mapping of future component heights, component sizes, batteries and screens and worked with Intel. We eventually got there. We took three working prototypes over to um, Austin, sat them in a boardroom and booted them up. Only two worked. Sorry, not two worked. Two failed, one worked. So, but we proved we could do it. 
Um, and we then worked with Foxcom. We gave them the recipe to bake the cake because we'd really broken through in a way that their internal teams couldn't. More and more, companies are looking for that sort of external catalyst coming on, putting out those challenges. And I guess the thing at the end of the day was we proved you could do a 10 millimeter computer. In fact, we proved the next level because at the end of the project we said, well, we think we can do a 6.9 millimeter computer now, which was hilarious uh, because we'd already given them a big, I guess, a, a big thing to eat. And if you look at a lot of the Dell computers now, whilst the computer that we did was a halo, it only was out there in the market for a limited amount of time, but the platform we developed now as integrated into many other computers. So it, it was, I guess it was one of my favorite projects I ever did. I mean, it was a, it was a very, very intense time. We had, um, you know, again, we did the electronics engineering. I'd never done that before, but Hugh, who was part of the team, had. Again, we put together experts in Silicon Valley. We had experts in um, Boston, Chicago, uh, Holland. And we just built a team of experts and then created the environment where they could work together and did it in a, a super fast way. And I think that's one of the things that often you see with the, the bigger company is they really struggle to align behind ideas, behind these opportunity spaces, because the day-to-day -day gets in the way. So sometimes I would say to a company, look, uh, we can be a catalyst to change, we can do these things for you, or we can teach your people, I guess the old adage, teach them how to fish. We can do that as well. But sometimes then you lose the speed. So final point, Paul, UK manufacturing, uh, we've got a huge challenge ahead of us in terms of increasing investment, possibly having a bad Brexit, who knows? That's for the politicians to work out. But either way, Manufacturers in this country can't sit still, they've got to move forward. I would suggest to them, and I'm sure you would agree, that some of this thinking you've been talking about is going to help them move forward in a far more cohesive, coherent and progressive fashion. Well, I would hope so. I mean, design, again, is responding to uh, how markets are changing, how consumers are changing. Um, you know, at the moment the pound's down, so it's helping people in terms of buying on price. Now, I would argue price is probably the last thing people want to be selling on because if it's, you know, you're chasing to the bottom. So I would like to think design can add value, can add a series of uh, benefits to products that allow you to engage with new customers. Um, an article we've just done is all about tenders, and that is stretching your capability, looking at new areas. I, I do think that larger manufacturers will find it harder, but again, a lot of the growth in the economy is coming from medium to uh, small to medium-sized businesses. So I think they probably embrace it more naturally as well, because one of the things that again we find is we work with people, and we have to have the belief of senior management in being able to make the change. So I'm looking forward to working with smaller businesses and taking them on a journey and of design and design thinking and really in, the, in, the, in that way, helping them grow. It sounds like there's a great adventure in store for those manufacturers ready to take Paul's challenge. If you want to find out more about Paul and his business, Brewery London, do go to their website, which is brewerylondon.com. And there are also links to some of Paul's previous articles for the manufacturer on this page. My thanks to Dr. Paul Stead, to you for listening, and do stand by for more TM podcast specials in the coming weeks. 
For the manufacturer, I'm Nick Peters. Goodbye for now.